called COVID lung. Believe it or not, it's what the pulmonologist told me as a severe asthmatic. I asked her if this will ever go away, and she said, uh, we honestly don't know for asthmatics. We'll all find out in three or four years. So I'll find out one day. <laughs> the, um, we are taking a break uh, during Lent. This is the fourth season of Lent to take a look at sin as an entity in itself. So we've been looking at the minor prophets, and what are all the minor prophets doing with all the people? Why are you keep sinning, right? A lot of judgment in there. We'll get back to the minor prophets once we get past Resurrection Sunday. That's coming up. But so we decided to take a closer look at sin. And so a couple times I've gotten in your face a little bit. Sometimes I sit on my stool as a pastor. Today, I want to talk about addictions, okay? The tragedy of addictions. Addiction is part of every one of our lives, every one of us. For many of us, it comes in the form of a habit, but it's still an addiction. And we need to talk about it because this is a serious part of what sin brings into the community. And so remember that none of us, none of us know what it's like not to have a sin nature. We don't know what that's like. We try to envision it, but we don't really know. We argue over everything. Okay, that's one of the things I love about this church that attracted me. You name the policy, and I can show you the continuum. You know, some are Republicans, some are Democrats, some are independents, some don't care. We have uh, school issues I just brought up. Some are very angry or upset, and others are like, ah, it's fine with me, I don't care. And others are like, ah, yeah, go. It doesn't matter what the policy is. We have, we're divided in every way you can measure as a church because we have every denomination sitting here, every one, and I just love that. Uh, I would never want to be a, pa- a pastor of a church that is a sectarian denominational church. I would be bored. In fact, I've said for years, I just want to go to white Anglo-Saxon Protestant church where everybody's like a bobblehead. We agree, we agree. Just to stand up and say, I don't know if I buy this resurrection thing, just to see if they wake up, right? <laughs> and I have a lot of friends that are pastors in those churches and I give them a hard time. I love the challenge of the variety. Our elders, our elders is just as diverse as you guys are on their beliefs and opinions and theological backgrounds, and it makes for a delightful, wonderful uh, journey talking through things. Our elders, they know how to argue. They're really good at it, right? So getting into this concept of sin is, is delving into the part of our world, the part of our life where it's so natural to us, we don't really know it's there. We live in a natural world that's fallen. That's the only world we know. We can imagine this world over here, the spiritual world, but we can only imagine it. We haven't lived in it yet. Peace, a piece of us is already here. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. But it's only a piece. We naturally go back to here. So what I want to talk about today is the tragedy of addiction because addiction is part of the curse and it comes with us everywhere we go. I get asked the question, you know, as, you know, the uh, philosophical question, if, if God is a loving God, why do we have suffering and affliction? Do you realize that suffering and affliction is necessary in a fallen world? I mean, God didn't create the mess, we did. But the moment we made the mess, the worst thing he could do, the most unloving thing we could do is bless us and walk away because then we wouldn't need him. Suffering, by definition, is a why on the road. It forces you to do one of two things, to get angry and move further away or to search after God. And so the, the presence of suffering and affliction in a fallen world is an act of grace on the part of God. It's a necessary part. 
And when we look at sin, we see that same pattern in sin. You know, I've now got, well, most of you know, I turned 65 this past week. So uh, you could have completely left that out. <laughs> I asked Nancy, I said, I'm not old, am I? And she goes, well, hold on, you're 65, you're on Medicare, you've got 11 grandkids. I think you're old. It's like, I don't feel old. You know, it's like Paul said that my body is decaying and my mind is being renewed in the Lord every day. Yeah, I get that. I think I'm really 18. So I'm just not going to try the things of an 18-year-old. I don't want to break things. So for 35 years, I have talked to people, bars, coffee shops, restaurants, airplanes, airports, train stations, everywhere around the world. And, and I've, I've had these conversations. Several of you asked this week. It's kind of interesting how sometimes things pop up. You're really not afraid to talk to people about the Lord. No, I'm not. I'll talk to anybody anywhere. It doesn't matter to me. What's the worst they're going to say? I'm not interested. Well, it sucks to be you. You know, that's <laughs> your problem, not mine. And so, yeah, I've had so many, many, many conversations around the world in various places. And there are things that puzzle me and frustrate me about the concept of sin. It hurts me. I've asked so many people, when you think of God, do you think of him as this is this God who created you for the most joy? Or do you think of somebody up there just waiting, the eye in the sky for you to trip up? And that's the overwhelming answer I get. And it's like, how did we get there? Okay? Sin is not about judgment. Judgment was taken care of on the cross. We're going to see that again in just a minute. It's not about judgment. Uh, uh, Cody and I were with the uh, teenagers Sunday night. And so we just asked the question, so what's wrong with sin? What's wrong with friends and benefits? What's wrong with it? And they said, well, it makes God unhappy. And I go, whoa, we got a really unhappy God. And they said, why? And I said, how many millions of Christians are there in the world? Lots and lots and lots. How many of you have gotten angry in the last week? Let me see. Okay, well, you just admitted to being a church of murderers, but we'll forget that. How many of you have lusted after something or somebody? Let me see. Good, put your hand up. There's more than two. Now you're getting embarrassed. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, now you're liars. That's another problem. Okay, I could go down the list of sins and you're all going to raise your hands, right? How many millions of people? If God gets upset every time we sin, that means he's upset continually. I don't know about you, but that's not the God I want to follow. And that's not the God I see in the scriptures. Our God is a God of joy. People say, and the kids were like, how can he be, how can he be a God of joy kind of thing if uh, we sin? I said, okay, when I had my fourth child, we have four. When my son was the youngest, there were times when he would get ready to do something stupid, and we call that sin, okay? Just think of, replace the word sin with stupidity, and now you're moving on the right journey. And so uh, uh, he's getting ready to do something stupid. He's getting ready to sin. Nancy and I look across the room at each other, and you got that telepathic thing going on where you go, going to do it. Sometimes we even go in the back bedroom and laugh. At one point, he said to us, I can't get away with anything. Yeah, you can't. That's right. Not very much. And so why could I find pleasure and laugh at him? Because by the time he was my fourth, I knew what to do. I had a role to play in his life now in a fallen world, and I wasn't afraid of it. No, I don't think God gets angry. I don't think he's disappointed. I think he kind of chuckles. Here's how I visualize it. Jesus is sitting right here. And they're watching everything, and he looks over, and he goes, Howard's going to do it. 
And now we've got to go help the poor guy. You know? I think that's how God thinks. Otherwise, it's just going to be upset all the time. You see, the cross took care of all of that. So then, what's so wrong with sin? And that's what we're talking about here. Our God is a God of grace. Some of you have heard me use this analogy. If I say to my four-year-old son or daughter, don't run out in the street or you're going to get hurt, that's responsible. But if I don't say anything and they run out in the street and get hit by a car and killed, I go to jail for abuse. It's an act of grace when God says, don't do something. Because it's not going to make you happy. And it could endanger your life. Let's be honest. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. Right? Sin is fun. In the beginning. That first high when you start drugs. Been there, done that. It's great. Second one's really fun. Third one's really fun. If you saw the Jesus revolution, you see what happens down the road a little ways. Pretty soon darkness sets in, hopelessness, and then it's not so fun anymore. And sometimes it's a little bit late because you've already formed the habit or the addiction. Okay? Lust after a person, a woman or a man, is fun. Let's be honest. That's why it's called the desires of the flesh. I think it is uh, in the new NIV, it's the acts of the flesh. But it's the word for lust. You, you want it. You crave it. You want it. But then you get involved with somebody that's not your spouse. It doesn't take very long before you find yourself in a real mess. Okay? And what we're trying to do is not bring judgment here. We're trying to raise the awareness of how destructive sin is. Because here's the way we typically think. We dealt with this a couple of weeks back. That's eh, just a little white lie. I only lost it after her once, maybe twice, or him. Just a little white light. No, no. You see, everyone adds corruption. It pollutes the soul. And as you practice that, what happens is you tend to move a little further away from the Lord, not closer to the Lord. You know, in my, in my career, because, uh, you know, I worked in internal auditing, nuclear engineering, I've been and uh, uh, gone through different programs. In every program, Christian or not, it doesn't matter. They all want to do a personality test just to make sure I'm not a homicidal murderer or something. I don't know. And so you do these personality tests, and there's a variety of tests out there, and they're all really good. And so they tell you, sit down and say, you know, here's what we learned about your personality. Uh, You're going to fail out of this program, or you're going to do well in this program, all that kind of stuff, right? But here's the thing that has uh, kind of astonished me over the years People, as they do more of that, here's the attitude they take. Well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. 20 years ago, one of the pastors, major pastors, pastors of a major church in Denver got fired because he was uh, very immoral. He went to another church in Denver, pretty soon got fired for that. It's very immoral. So they, advertised, they did an uh, interview with him in the paper, and he said, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. Okay? And it's like, okay, when you see an instrument that gives glimpse into the soul, you should have two responses immediately. One is, the part that's good, you should say, thank you, Lord. And the part that's not, you could say, God, help the people around me. And I'm sorry. Because none of you are Jesus. And every personality instrument is going to reveal something about you that needs transformation. 
everyone. And so it's never good to say, well, that's just the way I am. You know, that means your heart's getting harder and harder. And so the journey of working through this, this destruction of sin, we have to talk about the afflictions, I mean, the addictions and the habits. We all have them. Some of you feel really good about getting angry. Somehow it makes you feel strong and powerful. Some of you like the thrill of lusting. You know, I was there. You know, you want to know my personal journey? The kids all know it. Most of them have asked me. You want to know? Let's go out for coffee. I'll tell you. There's nothing hidden. Right? Yeah, I was addicted to pornography for many, many years. Um, That's a story in itself. It's a thrill there, but after a while, it begins to own me. And that's different than a thrill. And that's when the hard work settles in. Some of you are addicted to the sports, the skiing, the athletics out here. And to really bring a balanced life, not to be addicted to these things, is just about the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Being very honest, some of you parents are addicted to having your kid in every sport possible. I'm just saying as a grandparent, you will pay the price. It's a guarantee. It's going to happen. One of my ministries is to the many parents who, are, who have adult children who walked away from the faith. Yeah, it's a little too late then. Should have thought about it when they were younger. Okay, addictions go in every direction and they, infil- they infiltrate and penetrate everything that we do. And we feel comfortable with them. They want us to. We're driven. Satan knows these desires and he, he drives us and, and it creates hunger in these areas. So, We said last week that in order for evil to do its worst, it has to look its best. That should be a clue right there. If you're attracted to something, you probably better pause and take a look at it. Because sin is destructive and it always masquerades as light. Okay? Honestly, that's why having older people in our church is a real blessing. We don't get to keep them for long. By the time they turn 80, they really can't handle the atmosphere up here, the altitude. And so you should have coffee with the older people in their 70s and listen to them. They've made the mistakes. They have the sorrow and the regrets that you could avoid. Sin has to look its best for it to work. So addiction, addiction is actually a very complex area And I'm going to try to simplify it. I apologize if I make it too simple because I do know it's complex, okay? But addiction is complex. It's progressive. It moves. It draws you in. It's injurious. It injures others. It's often uh, very disabling. It's an attachment to either a substance or a behavior in which you constantly, compulsively seek to change something on the inside. It could be a behavior. It could be a substance. doesn't matter. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All of you should know what I'm talking about because you all have it. It's just that for most of you, you have learned to, to cope with it. You have an addiction to anger. You have an addiction to, we're going to read the lust of the flesh and you're going to find yourself in there somewhere. I find myself all over the lust of the flesh. Okay? And you're going to find yourself in there. 
When you find yourself, that's where that addiction, that habit is beginning to form. Uh, the good news is that it's in scriptures, it's all over the scriptures are talked about it. But the good news is, is that hope is always presented. It's not hopeless. But number one, you've got to be aware of it. And number two, you've got to be willing to do the hard work. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. How many of you have complained this week? It should be every hand. <laughs> except for one or two. No. <laughs> okay. See what I mean? It's so natural to us. We just do it. Do all things. Why is it important not to grumble or complain? Because when you grumble or complain, you just told the world you don't believe your, your theology of the sovereignty of God. You're complaining because you don't like something that happened. Well, guess what? God gets to be God and decide. And so when you start grumbling and complaining, you're just telling whoever you're talking to that you don't believe your own theology. That's why it's destructive. It eats away here. One of the things we learned from a study of sin, and we've talked about this through this study, is that sin makes you unhappy. It's not about judgment. It's about destruction of you and the soul. There's a great book by uh, Cornelius Plantinga called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's a wonderful book on a theology of sin. I've taken a lot of my notes from his work. It's not the way it's supposed to be. God really did make you to experience the deepest joy possible, the deepest love, joy, the deepest patience. You go down the list, kindness, gentleness, all of that stuff. He made you for that. And sin always robs you of that in life, always. It doesn't matter how small it is, it steals something from you. That's why a couple of weeks ago we talked about the whole concept of confession. That's what cleanses the soul. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. That's where cleansing occurs. And you should hopefully be developing the habit every day of saying, Jesus, forgive me. Just forgive me. We're all human, okay? But we don't always need to live the life of a fallen human. We can live the life of a redeemed human. That's possible. We're going to see that in just a minute. That's why Paul asked the perennial question, why do you keep sinning? You don't have to. Why do you? It's a question you should wrestle with. Why? Why do you keep sinning? I believe that addictions, addictive behaviors, are ultimately driven by a deeper longing, a hurt, an emptiness, a woundedness, that you, you long for something. Because in a fallen world, you know this, this better not be the ultimate answer. If it is, I'm going to be, that was my one, one of two agreements when I came to the Lord 46 years ago. You better be real or I'm going to be the angriest human on the planet. Twelve years ago, I went to counseling. I, had, uh, I went to the counseling faculty at Denver Seminary, and I said, because of a variety of reasons, again, if you want to hear, we'll have coffee, but I feel like an avalanche has hit me, and I've lost track of who I am, and very unhappy, and just confused, and lost and, you know, all of that. And so they uh, gave me the name of a clinical psychologist, a, a man who I've really grown to love. So we sat down, and the first thing he said was, so, uh, why are you here? I told him. He said, I'm just all confused. I don't, I need somebody to help me untangle the mess. 
And he said, okay. He said, uh, so who's Jim Howard? Oh, that's easy to answer. I have two masters, a PhD, I'm a vice president. And I went down the whole list of how great I am. And then he stunned me. He said, well, that would be really good if I asked, what have you accomplished? But that's not what I asked. I asked, who is Jim Howard? And I started to cry. I said, I don't know. And he goes, yeah, there's the problem right there. So we started spending time together every week. It's a wonderful, one of the most wonderful 18 months of my life. And somewhere in the six, eight months, nine month mark, I don't know where it was. He said, I want you to go home and I want you to make a list of all the people that you could fail in front of up until the age of 25 and it was okay. It was fine. I came back the next week with an empty pad of paper and a whole lot of tears. I couldn't think of a single person. Not one. He just said, very good. And I said, did you know that? And he goes, well, I'm not God. I'm trained to look for patterns. And when I see patterns emerge, I start thinking through, why would that pattern be there? And he said, um, so now that we've had this on the table, let's talk about the way you relate. Twelve years ago, I would have never been your pastor. The thought of being transparent and being me, not in the most vulnerable areas of life. And so working with him, begin to understand how I relate to people. He helped me see that. And what I was missing out on by the sinful or stupid ways I'm relating. Okay? It changed my whole life. So uh, I'm here as your pastor because of those 18 months. Because we did all the internal work to bring health. And I began to see. I asked him one day, Will these, ever, will these ever go away? He said, no, not till glory. He said, those were all encoded before you had a chance to cognitively figure it out. Uh, so no, it's not going away. But now that you know how you relate, you now have a choice. Are you going to continue to reinforce that pattern? I can't help you if you are. Or are you going to move toward health? And that's what we're going to see in the scriptures in just a minute. So the last day of counseling, I walked in and I said, uh, I was a vice president at Denver Seminary and I walked in and I said, uh, I resigned this week. Did you? And I said, I did. He goes, why? And I said, uh, <clears throat> it's not Jim Howard. And he stood up, stuck out his hand and he said, congratulations, you made it. You figured it out. You don't need me anymore. That's our last session. Enjoy life. And he was right. I had to do that work. Uh, and I have a lot of other issues in life that, by God's grace, a lot of you don't have. So it's a little more complex. You know, than some of you have more complexities than I do. I get that. But a lot of you don't. And I praise Jesus for that. I do. So this concept of addiction, these behaviors that are habits, they're, they're driven to by what's in here that's hurting. Okay? Yeah, it feels good to do all these things, of course but it's only momentary. It's fleeting. It's like Ecclesiastes says, chasing after the wind. If I have a little more money, I'll be happy. Okay, guess what? The elders gave us a Christmas bonus as staff. Well, that made us all happy, but pretty soon it's in the background. Back to where I was. Okay? And that's what happens. So this corrupted 
deeper longing, if you will, is what the Bible talks about when it says, talks about the acts or desires of the flesh. It gives us a list of them in Galatians 5, 19. These are the lusts that drive you. And you're going to find yourself somewhere in this list. Wherever you find yourself, that's where you see these habits and addictions forming. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, guilty. Impurity, guilty. Debauchery, wasting, wasting your life, guilty. Idolatry and witchcraft, guilty. That's not Satan worship. That's any time you find something that you would rather do than spend time with God. He goes on. Hatred, guilty. Discord, guilty. Jealousy, guilty. Fits of rage, guilty. Selfish ambition, definitely guilty. Dissensions, factions, guilty. Envy, guilty. Drunkenness, guilty. Orgies, guilty. Just was honest with you, I'm guilty of everything on that list. And then he adds to it. It's like the end of every employment agreement. Other duties as assigned. (laughs) Right? And the like. Guilty. This describes me. I wish it didn't. But it does. I hope most of you have not gone through what I went through in life. I know a few of you have. If you haven't talked to Cody, he sits here in the first service, you should have a conversation. He and I have sat and cried together as we shared our stories of where we came from, the hurts, and all of that. And so I know that when this is a debate of what are of these are driven by nature, culture, all that stuff, I'm not going to get into the debate Because any area of brokenness or sin needs redemption. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Okay? The last thing you want to do is say, well, I'm like this because my mom did X or my dad. So what? You know? In fact, in counseling, we spent very little time in the past. He said it doesn't matter. Understanding is not going to change a thing. Let's figure out where you are and where to move from here. And that was so helpful to begin to look more deeply at who I am Okay, so what's the answer to these destructive behaviors? Well, let's look on either side. At the beginning of chapter 5 of Galatians, he says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, but guess what? You can't keep the law. It's not even possible, and if you try, you know what happens? You're guilty of the whole law. So it doesn't matter which one of these you find yourself in, you're now guilty of all of them. That's why I said guilty to every one. It is, that describes me. So we go back to Galatians 5, 13. Yes, you brother, are you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You know what that says? You now have a choice. This is why I want to be your pastor today. You have a choice. Hear that. 
You have a choice. Rather, here's the anecdote to habits, addictions, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another. People ask me all the time, why is the Trinity important? Well, if God is only one person, he's not going to know what love is because love by definition requires two. Two is a relationship. Three is a community. And we're getting ready to celebrate that in just a moment. Three is a community. And so you have to be in community to live all these things out, the bad and the good. So that's the anecdote. Serve one another in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Boy, isn't that the case? Your best friend becomes your worst enemy pretty quick. The person you entrust the secret to is pretty soon gossiping about you. You guys know what I'm talking about. Okay, but if you begin to practice loving one another, being kind, all the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to read in just a second, then you know what? This church is the healthiest institution on the planet. It really is. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you have a choice. Walk by the Spirit or gratify the desires of the flesh. For this flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Why? They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You have a battle. As a Christian inside, praise Jesus. Because that's an act of grace. He put the Spirit inside to convict you. I can't convict you. No human can convict another human. I have to wait for the Holy Spirit to do his convicting work so your stupidity floats to the surface and you go, I'm in trouble. Yeah, you are. You ought to sit across from somebody saying, I'm sleeping with another man's wife. Ooh, ouch. And I said, so what's the problem? Oh my gosh, I'm afraid my wife's going to find out. Uh, I'm financially stressed and strained and I, I got my life in a mess. Yeah, I bet you do. Okay? See what I mean? You have a choice. And so these are put there on purpose so that when you feel this struggle, this fight, this internal war, yes, the slightest white lie makes a difference. Okay? Yes. And so this tension is created by the Holy Spirit to keep you from going the way of the world. And it gives you a choice. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk by the Spirit? Or are you going to walk according to the flesh? But then he goes on, he talks about the acts of the flesh, which I've already read. But then he says the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Praise Jesus, that's not against the law because we can't keep the law. The reason for the law, with this right here, this is not the law. This is your natural compunction as a Christian, your natural affinity if sin is not in the way. Okay? But then he says something startling. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have already crucified the flesh with his passions, with its desires. That's why Paul can say, why do you keep sinning? You don't have to. Your brain is still, char- your brain is still trained to think the old way. But you don't have to anymore. It says in Romans 6. It says in several places, you don't have to sin. You don't have to get angry. You don't have to complain. 
You don't have to lust. But every chance when you, I mean, every time you do, God gave us the answer. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. That cleans the soul. It recalibrates every time. Every time. The problem is you're so used to it, you don't recognize that you need to do it. If anger is your issue, then every time you get angry, that's a normal thing. It shouldn't be normal. Every time you get angry, you say, ah, ah, sorry, Jesus, forgive me. Okay? Failure to control the lust of the flesh destroys community. Living out the fruit of the Spirit blesses and builds community. Who wants to be around unforgiving people? Who wants to be around hostile people? Hateful people? Who wants to be around people that you can't trust because they're going to gossip whatever you say to them? No. Don't you, wouldn't you rather be around people that just embrace you, take you in, hug you, show up when something's wrong, love you? Isn't that what you'd rather be around? That's what happens when you begin to practice the fruit of the Spirit along with, I'm sorry, Jesus, forgive me. Because what happens is your heart gets softer. And as your heart gets softer, you begin to experience the Lord more deeply. There's no shortcut. I wish there was. I know a lot of non-Christians that have PhDs in biblical studies, New Testament, Old Testament, both. And you think, wow, on earth did he get a PhD in that? It's good literature. I get a PhD in Shakespeare. But they don't believe a word of it. You see, we have a gift that has been given to us. It's all captured with this wonderful word called grace that we can cleanse the spirit. I'm sorry, Jesus, forgive me. We can begin to live and overcome a lifetime of habits that are addictive. I don't want to be angry. I don't want that. I really want to love people and to listen to them. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but there's no greater reward. Addiction is tragic. It really is. Father, thank you. Thank you for knowing our plight, understanding it, forgiving us. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for giving us a way, a choice. What an amazing thing that we would turn our back on you and you turn around and show love and give us a choice. What an amazing thing. What an amazing God you are. So just for a second now, Whatever that habit is, that addiction that you have, just tell the Lord you don't want to be that way. Ask for his forgiveness and help. Thank you, God, for your kindness, because it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. We're grateful. In your son's name. Amen. Remember why we do the offering in communion?